Welcome to the SoulWorks podcast, a place where we explore self-care strategies that lead us to our well-being and highest self. I'm your host, Ade Chakor. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I have with me today Rob Mack, an Ivy League-educated positive psychology expert, executive coach, published author of Happiness from the Inside Out, celebrity love coach of E-Network's Famously Single, and host of Good Morning La La Land. Rob writes and speaks to people about how to live happier lives from the inside out. Rob works has been endorsed by Oprah and Vanessa Williams, among many others. He has been a featured guest expert um, on shows like The Today Show, uh, Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, CBS Early Show, The Balancing Act, and AskHer.com. Um, I am just so grateful, Rob, that you're here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. That's awesome. Uh, so before I ask um, any questions, I have these, I, I always ask this question. Um, what's your morning routine? What is my morning routine? Such a great question. Um, I've always been a bit of an early riser. When we're doing the show, I generally get up pretty early, like 3.30 a.m. Um, and that's mostly because I have clients during the day. And I have a few things that I like to get out of the way right away so that it sets my day up for success and most importantly, happiness. And so the first thing I do is I practice the presence, which essentially is just a type of meditation where you feel in to the peaceful aliveness inside your own body and you do it without thinking and uh without worrying or anything like that you just do it for the joy of it and then after that jump up i dressed get ready for the gym um quarantine these days not going to the gym so going for a run outside and doing home workouts uh, but i do that and then i come back do a little more meditation um the practicing presence meditation sort of again and then i get on with my day but for me exercise and meditation and reading are like always the three most critical ways or activities to start my day. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I totally agree. I think um, it's just always fascinating to hear what, you know, people do in the morning to kind of set themselves up for a perfect day, you know? Yes, so, yes. Are you the same way? I am. Yes, I wasn't, but um, I noticed uh, when I started meditating, my day goes differently. I'm much more calmer, at peace, and things just don't bother me as much. So um, I w gave myself that extra time. I wake up. So right now, like you said, it's different with quarantine. But I wake up at 4.30 every morning before I get my kids ready for school to give me at least, you know, 30 minutes or so to... Uh, just sit silently uh, and meditate. It makes a huge difference. It does. I love that. And, you know, each kid is a full-time career. <laughs> so you've got about, no. you know, multiple careers yeah. there. But I love what you said Absolutely. there. Yeah, I agree. If you um, don't get a jump on the day, the day gets a jump on you. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfectly said. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, Rob, you were not always a happiness coach. Um, in fact, there was a time when you were very unhappy. Um, will you please talk to us about your journey to happiness and how everything kind of unfolded in your life? 
Of course. Um, you're right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, just stumble and trip and become happy um, or happiness coach. I remember being unhappy. I mean, honestly, I was um, deeply dysphoric, beyond sad. I was really depressed. I was never actually, um, you know, I never took a test for the clinical depression, at least not when I was growing up. But I know for sure I was um, depressed. And in fact, um, I was even suicidal. So growing up, you know, I lived uh, really um, quite good life. My family is very loving, you know, incredible mom, incredible dad, a brother, a sister. And I always did pretty well athletically and pretty well academically, mostly because I worked hard. And I always um, knew and felt that there was something a little different with me because I just never seemed to be able to find or feel any peace, um, any real happiness. Um, and, uh, you know, despite the love that my parents and my family shared with me, I didn't love myself at all. I mean, I really hated myself. So as I got older, I just always assumed that I would kind of either grow out of that or by accomplishing some things in the sports arena or on the field or in the classroom or out in life. Maybe if I started making money, I would eventually find myself to be happier. But that didn't happen. As I got older, I just felt worse and worse for it all. I felt more and more depressed. So much so that I eventually got to a place in my life where I began to research ways to kill myself. And I eventually decided that I would use a knife. So I went into the kitchen, I got a steak knife and I dug it into my wrist. And strangely enough, something very strange happened when I did that, which is that, you know, I felt a peace that I hadn't felt before. And I felt a joy that I hadn't felt before. And I thought it was very strange. <laughs> wasn't expecting to have that kind of experience at that point in time. So at that point, I decided that I would postpone or put off happiness for at least one hour, you know, and that was all. It was no more than that. And quite frankly, I wasn't even committed to the full hour, but I thought that I should probably look into this more closely. I should try to understand what I experienced when I experienced that peace, despite the external or objective conditions and circumstances of my life not having changed. Why did I feel better on the inside? So I did that in that hour slipped into several hours and then it slipped into several days. And looking back now, it's been decades and decades. The change didn't happen overnight. It was an inch by inch kind of experience. And often it was, you know, sort of two or three steps forward and like 10 back. <laughs> so the suicidal ideation uh, continued for quite some time. But I noticed that I was having less suicidal thoughts, less depressed thoughts. They were sticking around for a lot less long. Um, and they were um, sort of leaving a lot more quickly, right? And so over time, I found myself just becoming less and less depressed to the point where I was starting to feel happier and happier. And then this whole time, I'm doing a ton of research and I'm applying everything that I could find from smarter, wiser people who had sort of either cracked the code on happiness or on peace, but they had something to say and share about it. But I just applied everything. I tracked what worked. I let go of what didn't. And this journal eventually became a book, Happiness from the Inside Out. I never set out to become a happiness coach. I didn't set out to write a book on happiness. Um, quite honestly, it was all very selfish. I just wanted to be happy. And I committed very, you know, at this point, this was, um, you know, decades ago, that if I was going to live, I was going to live as blissfully as humanly possible. So it's been the major primary principles pursuit of my life. It's just being happy. Uh, but I noticed that lots of positive side effects came from that. And I, and I think a lot of people have realized too, that you can experience much more authentic 
much more effortless success by choosing and prioritizing and committing to your own happiness. And it happens in these uh, easy, sort of enjoyable ways and ways that you wouldn't expect. Mm, yeah, that that I can relate to that because um, also in my very difficult moment um, after I went through my divorce, um, I was devastated and it, you know, everything was dark for me. And then um, I remember a time I was actually driving back home from work and I I wasn't in, you know, I was just driving literally. There wasn't so much in my mind. But then all of a sudden there was this thought in my head that said, okay, um, you have a choice. You're going to either live depressed and miserable for the rest of your life, or you can take this and make something out of it. And I chose the latter, uh, which kind of led me surprisingly into a totally different life where I uh, went to, um, you know, a coaching school for integrative nutrition. And that's how I became a health coach. But um, there was a moment that kind of completely changed me. And that was at my, I guess, the worst moment of my life. So mm. I, I, I understand how that can happen. So inspiring. So inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, after you went through that journey, I'm sure there are ups and downs in life, right? Yeah. We're bound to have some days that are down and some days are better than others. But how do you manage those? Uh, how, what do you tell yourself like when some days are not as perfect? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think... Um, in the beginning, I mostly tried to talk myself back off the ledge, right? And for us, that has sort of a double meaning there. Um, uh, but I would try to talk myself off of this, you know, psychological and emotional ledge by positively reframing what I was experiencing, you know? And so I would try to find or tell myself and everybody else a better feeling, based, uh, better feeling story based in truth. It's got to be based in truth. Otherwise, it's not believable. So it's not going to feel better. So... In the beginning, it was just, you know, I can still feel good or I can feel good anyway, or I can find a way. There's something here. Every time you lose something, something is gained. You might lose something in the world. You might lose something in the external or outer world, but you always gain something on the inner world, maybe a realization, maybe an insight, maybe a deeper commitment or dedication to love yourself. For me, uh, the commitment was always that to di divest myself of results and invest and put all my eggs in one basket and that basket was focusing on the process you know being present increasingly present so in the beginning while i mostly worked on changing my thoughts about things i come over time to realize and recognize that uh, that was great and very useful and it's always better to think positively than it is to think negatively but there's an easier more effortless and more enjoyable practice for me now which is just simply to prioritize being present and to being the presence itself without thinking and trying to explain things away or understand things or trying to always reframe things. I think it's great to reframe things. It's great to find meaning in things. No question about that. But at the end of the day, I'm at my happiest when I'm focused on just enjoying my own presence. I might call that presence. It's divine presence. It's a spiritual presence, but it's the alive presence, the alive peacefulness 
of life itself, that life energy or life force that you can feel inside your hands, that you can feel inside your feet. That is to me happiness itself. It's what I truly am, what you and I truly are. It's a faceless, formless, infinite, eternal, thoughtless, wordless awareness itself. And that awareness or that non-physical energy is always my first and top priority. Some people call that God or source or spirit. But my intention is always to place all of my happiness in that and not in the world, not in conditions and circumstances, not what goes right or what goes wrong, but instead to divest myself of all of that and to focus primarily on enjoying this presence that is God or that is myself, um, essentially, that we all are. And so my, that's always my always my goal, my top goal. I mean, it's the only thing that has ever brought me real, lasting, meaningful, and abiding happiness. Um, you know, I love and I will always continue to choose positive thoughts over negative thoughts. Um, but at the end of the day, even your most positive thinking, um, you know, you'll still find yourself experiencing stress, anxiety, things go wrong, sometimes people lie, sometimes people cheat and they steal, you know, all kinds of things happen. You can get sick, you can have accidents, but none of that needs to disrupt or dilute the powerful, alive, peaceful, happy, loving presence that we are. And so I found that when I'm not thinking, I'm perfect peace already. When I'm not thinking, I'm perfect happiness and perfect love already. And so my intention and goal is to always prioritize that first and foremost. And when something outside me happens or something in my life happens that I don't love, that I don't prefer, that I don't necessarily enjoy, it's a reminder for me, like a mindfulness bell that invites me back into practicing the presence of peace and love and happiness within me itself. It's a reminder that I can't find, none of us can find peace, love, and happiness in the world, in external conditions or circumstances, or in other people. That's always the case. You will never find lasting, meaningful, abiding peace, love, or happiness in other people or other objects. And so every time something goes wrong, it's a reminder of that, that I need to seek happiness in the only place it lives and exists, which is in myself. Mm, that's that's beautiful yes and you kind of led me to my next question actually which mm -hmm. is um you know happiness can mean different things to different people so i was going to ask you how you define true happiness yeah yeah um, such a great question and this is why i love the conversation with you uh you have very powerful questions you know i would there's lots of ways to explain it and i'll say this before i explain it that at the end of the day experience is the only explanation, right? Experience. And um, sometimes too much explanation can get in the way of our experience, right? Our experience of it. And so that being said, happiness is not what we do. I initially thought it was what you do, that if I can just do happy things, more happy things, whether it's dating more, or maybe I can do a happier job, or I can find a happier job or a happier career. That, and that's part of it. But happiness isn't what you do. Uh, but then eventually some of us are led to a place where we think that happiness is what we think, that if we can just think positive thoughts, and that's very helpful too, much better than thinking negative thoughts. But I've come around to realizing that happiness is what you are, that when you're not lost in thought, you're happiness already. So when thought is not, happiness is. When your mind is not, happiness is. So, and so life itself is happiness. Right? So another way of saying that is life is just energy. If you ask any physicist, they'll tell you that there's no such thing as matter. Matter is really just energy. And if you look into energy, you see that it's mostly just space, which is profound, that it's mostly just space. And we, being matter, really are energy, which is just space. That spaciousness, that silence, that stillness, 
That is happiness. It's a peaceful aliveness. It's not a dead peace. It's not the kind of peace that you can imagine somebody might experience if they're knocked unconscious. It's not that. It's an alive, awake peace that is happiness. That's the way I would describe it. Hmm. Yeah, uh, my favorite uh, verse, it's uh, from the Bible, it says, be still and know. Um, it really resonates with me. And also, that's kind of why, um, you know, when people go into nature, or when we just take a walk, you know, experience that feeling of joy and happiness, because, like you said, just life in general is happiness. If we don't put into it our own, you know, thoughts that are sometimes very toxic in a way. Beautifully put. And I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses of all time. I agree with you. Um, also, I am that I am, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. I am that presence. Uh, presence itself is stillness, silence, and spaciousness. It's a silence that sings though, and it's a stillness that dances and it's a spaciousness that celebrates, right? And so, what you just said is so powerful and so profound. I often sometimes think of it this way, that when I'm sleeping, and most of us love sleeping, right? I mean, who doesn't look forward to sleeping and getting a good night's rest? When you're sleeping and you're not dreaming, you're in that dreamless state of sleep, there's such peace in that, right? Like the moment before I slip off to sleep, when I forget the world, and I forget myself, and I forget everything and everybody in the world, including myself, I find perfect peace. There's no feeling that is as rich as that. And that's my intention is just to enjoy that. You don't have to create it. It's what you essentially already are and always are. And it exists underneath, behind, beyond, beneath all thinking and all thoughts and all, and all, and all noise and all sound. That spaciousness, that silence, that stillness is happiness. And at first it sounds so boring to say it that way, right? It's like, oh, I want an amusement park ride. I want something that sounds more exciting, but I promise that when you get a taste of it, like, of course, you know that as you do, um, and as I have, um, it's the, nothing can compare to that. There's no substitute for that. Nothing can compete with that. And so you're right. Mm. Be still and I know it sort of sums it up, sums up all of it. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, sleep because one thing I noticed is, um, you know, when something is troubling me and I go to sleep, you know, like you said, everything is fine. I'm obviously happy. Um, but right when I wake up, I I kind of sense that feeling coming back. It's like a cloud over my head. And then the moment I give it my attention, all of a sudden, I feel that sadness. So uh, that's an amazing thing that you said. So I started paying attention to that. And quickly in the morning, what I do is, uh, as soon as I realize I'm awake, I try to meditate right away or do a gratitude journal or just find things that I'm grateful for so that I don't give that cloud enough space to kind of take, take over my uh, mind. Brilliant. That's brilliant. And I certainly, that resonates with me deeply. You know, I used to wake up every single day with dread and anxiety it would consume me first thing in the morning. As soon as I was even aware that I was awake, I felt like I was drowning in my own anxiety and my own worries and concern. And that was very frustrating. And like you, I started a little process first thing in the morning, make my bed, go for a run or go to the gym, 
make sure I meditate. And these things all create space, like you said, between you and that stress or that anxiety or the fear, the worry. And it's just incredibly helpful. You know, I think over time, as you begin practicing um, any of those practices we just mentioned or anything else that works for you, really, you find that on one hand, you rewire your brain. So we know that if you can just spend enough time and energy, be consistent every day for 66 days, you actually begin to rewire your brain in this neuroplastic way so that the thoughts that were easy and effortless and that were normally negative and redundant are replaced with positive ones with a more optimistic perspective or more hopeful or more faith uh, sort of inspired thought or thinking, right, approach. So mm-hmm. that we know if just practice, it gets better. And you won't always know that you're getting better or that you're feeling better over time because it's very small and microscopic and not every day feels better than the one before it. But it's like going to the gym or doing anything else. If you just trust the process and continue, it gets better and better. And then at some point you wake up and you actually feel excited to be woke, to, to wake up and you feel good and you feel relief and you don't feel the stress and anxiety uh, anymore. Um, and so that's one thing I did discover over time, you know, and it's a piece of encouragement, I think, um, that both of us are offering up, which is that do what you can in the mornings to not feed and not feel and not entertain the stressful, worrisome, unhappy thoughts and thinking, and they'll die a natural death. If you don't feed them with attention, they'll die a natural death. But it takes a little time. And don't think that just because you continue to feel the stress and the anxiety, the worry, the guilt, or whatever, that you're not doing it right. That's a trap. Instead of trying mm-hmm. to focus on doing it right, do it for joy's sake and trust and have faith in the process. And I promise you that over time, the snowball effect that is the stress and the anxiety and the worry will eventually melt away. And uh, you know, you'll be left with really nothing but sunshine, but it takes a little time. Yeah, it does, which also kind of leads me to what I wanted to talk to uh, to you about next is it's better, you know, um, to do the work ourselves rather than start looking for happiness um, externally. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but, you know, when we wake up in the morning and if we're uh, grabbing our phone right away and we're you know, constantly then bombarded with uh, advertisements or social media, then we're being told that in a way we're not enough or we're being um, subconsciously, we're comparing ourselves to others. So can you talk to us about how we can avoid using, you know, external experiences to achieve happiness? Beautifully put. So yeah, um, a couple of themes here. One is, um, you know, seeking external validation versus internal validation or extrinsic rewards and extrinsic motivation as opposed to intrinsic rewards and motivation. Um, the other way we can talk about it is being self-referent uh, versus other referent. But in any case, the point is there's only one place happiness lives and exists and it's within you, <laughs> right? Within me. And so when you find yourself unhappy and when you find yourself not feeling loved, you're looking for happiness and you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Everywhere outside of you, is a wrong place. Every other person, every other object is a wrong place. The future is a wrong place. The only right place is the here and now within yourself. And at first I would have said, well, it's in the mind. And that does start in the mind, but it's deeper than that. It's really in your heart or in your spirit and your soul. Um, it's truly who and what you are. And so, yes, part of the challenge these days, technology is great. It keeps us connected and allows us to, you know, share our experiences in our lives and how we think and what we feel with other people. And that being said, it's also, you know, a bit of 
a seductive trap that can be very alluring and appealing to people because it gives you the sense that if you just reach out to someone else or to something else, that you'll find whatever it is that you're looking for. But the truth is, it never works that way. You know, the world and other people and all other objects make a promise that they cannot keep. They don't do it on purpose, but the promise that they cannot keep, that they make, is that I will make you happy, right? Nobody can do that for you. Nothing can do that for you except for yourself. And if you're not sure of that, then just spend more time with people seeking it there or in the world. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's no judgment about that. But you'll eventually come to a place where you realize it for yourself. And that's the challenge and the opportunity with having phenomenally inspiring conversations like this is that at the end of the day, the only way to know happiness is to taste happiness. The only way to know honey is to taste honey. You have to consume it. You have to imbibe it. You have to uh, totally drown yourself in it. And, you know, it's experience that's really the only explanation. But yes, at the end of the day, um, it's very easy and understandable that we would seek happiness and love and peace outside of ourselves. Uh, but when we do that, when we make somebody else responsible or something else responsible for our peace or our love or our happiness, or we blame those things, those people, we actually make or render ourselves powerless to do anything about it, to change it. You know, if it's up to them, if they've caused us to be unhappy or caused us to feel a lack of love or caused us to lose our peace, then they must be responsible for shoring that up and for making it right. But that's never the truth. That's always a myth. That's always a misconception. That's always a misnomer. So happiness is only found mm -hmm. within in the here and now. And it doesn't take nearly as much work as you think it does. In the beginning, it feels a little effortful, mostly because it's unpracticed and unfamiliar. But with practice, makes progress. And with progress, you find peace. Mm -hmm. Yes. And also, you know, accepting ourselves the way we are, right? It, that plays a huge role in happiness. I think for me, that's until I finally accepted me for, you know, all my flaws and all my mistakes, and then uh, forgave myself, I was not truly happy. You just nailed it. Just nailed it. Yeah. Um, but then is there a time where it's okay to compare ourselves with others, you know, is there, um, if probably in career wise or if for growth wise, do you think it's at some, is there a level for us to compare ourselves and it's okay? Such a beautiful poignant question. Um, so I would say this, um, everything is always okay. That's the one thing I'll say in comparison is okay. Competition is okay angry upset it's all okay it's all okay the only question i think is does it work right so um is it helpful does it support you in your, what you're wanting to achieve if your ultimate end and aim in life is um success and you're not so worried about happiness or whatnot then comparison can be very helpful competition can be extraordinarily helpful and in accomplishing that if you care about peace and you care about happiness you'll know immediately based on how you feel right so when you compare and or compete how do you feel? Do you feel more or less peace? Do you feel more or less love? Do you feel more or less happiness? You know immediately, intuitively, what the answer to that is. In my experience, I have really never found lasting meaning or abiding peace, a meaningful or abiding pe uh, peace or happiness or love through comparison. Um, you know, the challenge is that, you know, it's like pairing apples and oranges. Everybody is created and designed that uniquely serves them 
and we're each designed and created in a way that uniquely serves us. You know, if we try to become like someone else or compete with someone else to be more like them, or to, we often find that we're just becoming a more diluted version of ourselves, right? And so comparison can be very helpful depending on what you want to achieve. Uh, competition can be very helpful. But if you're interested mostly in peace and happiness and love, um, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Comparison is the thief of peace and of love. And so um, nothing wrong with doing it. That doesn't mean it's not okay. You can use it just like you use an umbrella. You know, you when it's raining, you use it to protect yourself from getting wet. But when it's not raining, you put it away. And so comparison can be used in that way too. If you're trying to achieve something, let's say that you want to become a better athlete, you want to run faster or whatnot. Sometimes it's nice to have a running buddy with you that pushes you a little bit to go harder, to go stronger, to go fa- to be faster. Um, but you know, you let it, you have to drop it then and there. And if you take it with you and you carry that comparison with you all day and it stills you of your joy and your peace and your love, then it's not working in a sense of bringing you what you most care about. I most care about peace and happiness. And I think if people were to look real closely within themselves, they find that the reason they want to achieve, accomplish, or acquire anything else in the world is because they think and want to feel better as a result of having achieved, accomplished, or acquired it. So when you know that happiness is the end game, then happiness is the whole meaning and purpose of life, is the whole end and aim of human existence, you suddenly prioritize happiness and you stop routing it through people or objects or the world. You stop routing it through things like comparison and competition. And so I would encourage folks, if it works for you, use it and do it. And always trust your own intuition, your own sense of knowing. But you always know based on how you feel when you compare, whether it's something that's working for you or not. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, Like many things in life, I think uh, if something feels good, do it more. But, you know, notice how something makes you feel. And if it's giving you a negative feeling, then do less. or probably nothing at all um so talk to us about um the role relationships play in happiness yeah a lot of us uh feel like uh you know if we're single then we're not complete until we are in a relationship or even when we're in a relationship we put so much pressure on our partners because um we accept expect them to complete us and obviously that doesn't work because um no person can handle you know that much pressure or no nobody's really responsible for your happiness so can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah so you know most folks enter into this life and at least as adults and uh under the belief the myth that relationships are designed or meant to make you happy and that's not true (laughs) and if you have enough life experience you know that's not true relationships aren't designed or meant to make you happy they're meant to help you become conscious they help to make make you conscious or more aware as you become more conscious or more aware you find more happiness and the happiness that always existed within you and so relationships are really a mirror that mirror back to you the places within yourself that you might want or need to heal not the perfect way of saying it Um, Because I believe that everybody is already perfectly whole and healthy, deep inside in their spirit already. No question about that. And so the challenge and opportunity with relationships is to sort of pick up the mirror and not the magnifying glass, right? So what we tend to do in relationships is we pick up the relationship 
the, the, the magnifying glass and we focus on all these things wrong with the other person, their weaknesses, where they fall short, their personality flaws, instead of looking in the mirror and instead of simply turning around and saying, well, where and what here can I take responsibility for? What and where here can I shore up? And what do I ultimately have control over? And that's my own thoughts, my own feelings and the ways in which I communicate. I can't be responsible for how the other person receives what I, what I say or what I share. I can't be responsible for whether or not they receive my love. Um, but I can certainly do what I can to focus on happiness. And so the happiest relationships consist really of two independently happy individuals, two independently happy individuals. Um, we have so many sort of twisted, perverted ideas about love that don't serve us well. And that's understandable. Most ideas about love don't serve us well. But, you know, love is really just your happiness shared, right? We, it's not about self-sacrifice. It's not that you don't occasionally uh, make trade-offs or anything like that. But at the end of the day, when our bucket is full, we can share from that bucket into other people's buckets. But if our bucket is empty, we have nothing to share, right? And if you get into a relationship and the other person has nothing to share, then you've got two beggars who can't make each other better off. They only make each other worse off, right? They get into arguments and fights. And so often that's what we see happen. You know, from my perspective, um, you know, the challenge that most of us have is that for us, we don't really know love. We know addiction. We know entertainment. We know distraction. We even know lust. And we know the ego. But love is none of those things. And so if you find that your love is unhappy, you can trust to know that it's not love. If you find that your love is not free, you can trust to know that it's not love. You know, love is free. Love is freedom. Love is non-needy. It's non-desperate. You know, love doesn't keep score. You know, love is about the unbridled, unedited, unadulterated, uncensored sharing of your own happiness. And so really the greatest metaphor, I think, for relationships is thinking of yourself as a rain cloud. I like to think of myself as a rain cloud that I want to fill myself up with as much peace, love, and happiness as humanly possible, just like a rain cloud. So much so that I get to a place where I'm so full and so fulfilled that I can't help but indiscriminately and unconditionally shower all of that peace and love and happiness on the entire earth, on all living beings without any expectation of reciprocity. And I do it selfishly just to unburden myself, just to relieve myself. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about doing the moral thing. It's not about being ethical. It's not about being loving. It's just about sharing this bliss that I can't contain. And I do it easily and effortlessly and organically. And again, without an expectation of reward. And so for me, just love is your happiness shared. And if you find that you're not happy and you're blaming the other person, as much as it may seem and feel like it's the other person, and as much as may be seduct you may be seduced into trying to change the other person, love is never changing the other person. Love is always looking within and finding what you're searching for and looking for in the other within yourself. Mm. That's, it reminds me of, um, I don't know the entire quote, but the quote of uh, Maya Angelou about how love is liberating. You should not feel suffocated in love. It should, should feel free. That's right. And I love mm -hmm. that. You know, it's, um, love gives you wings, you know, love gives you wings, you know, and that's why I mm -hmm. firmly believe meditation, you can call it prayer, you might call it a gratitude journal, it doesn't matter, but you, but you need something that grounds you, meaning something that lets you feel strong and secure and stable in your happiness. 
Okay. And so that's what I call meditation. So meditation um, gives you roots essentially and love gives you wings and um, they work in concert. And I would say even more than that, that really when you're deeply, truly self-loving and I, the practice of meditation, prayer is nothing more than that. It's recognizing, realizing that you are love, that you are one with love, the source of love itself. That when you have that realization, that recognition, you no longer seek relationships to get something. You just enter into relationships in order to give something, in order to share something. That doesn't mean you become a doormat. You know, that just means that you're in it for enjoyment's sake. You're in it to enjoy the other. And sure, you take care of each other, but it's not or no longer something that you enter into in order to get something, you know, with an agenda, with a motive, uh, with, motiva- with motivation other than enjoying the other person's presence. Um, and so I just love that Maya Angelou quote, always have, love Maya Angelou mm-hmm. and love you sharing it. Absolutely. I love what you said. Meditation gives you roots and love uh, gives you wings. I think that's so beautiful. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> that's just amazing. <laughs> um, so in our journey, um, you know, we come across people, they could be in our family or even our um, relationship partners who bring us down or they come with very negative energy or they're just toxic people. How do we handle them and how can we maintain our happiness if we cannot, you know, leave? Yeah, it's great. Great question. So, um, so of course, and I think you eliminated the first option, which is always, you know, some people are easier to love from a distance and you can love them better from a distance. At the end of the day, what we want to be careful of is prioritizing relationships above love. Love has to come first and love is something we feel in our hearts. And sometimes you can feel more love and be more loving when you're not in relationship with someone, okay? When you love them from a distance. And that is something we never want to torture ourselves on the way to happiness and peace and love. We want to do what we can to, you know, take the easy way, but the way that's easy and healthy. And so that's the first option is sometimes creating distance is the best thing. I think it was Rumi who said, love is really protecting the solitude of the other. So that means you've got, there's got to be space between you. There's got to be space in your relationship. There's got to be stillness and silence in your relationship. You can't always be on top of each other and on each other's laps and in each other's lives all day, every day. That's the way to quickly kill love, right? And so it's like music. You know, we often think of music as being the notes and the sound, but actually music is the space in between. That's what allows the music to breathe, to exist, to coexist uh, with the other notes. If it was just nothing but notes and no space, there would be no music. It would just be clamor, it'd be calamity, right? And so that's the first piece is you've got to create space. And sometimes if you can create physical space, um, you know, that's very helpful, right? Actual physical space. Sometimes you can't do that. Um, or you don't want to do that, but that doesn't mean you can't have or experience psychological, emotional, and spiritual space. And that means that when you're with them, maybe you talk to them and you do your best to come from the most loving, happy, and peaceful place on the side that you can. But you're, when you're not with them, you don't think about them. You don't worry about them. You're not always trying to figure out everything in the relationship or fix everything in the relationship. You know, that's the psychological, emotional space um, and spiritual space. You know, then beyond that, sometimes you just get difficult people. and those difficult people might be close to you. Maybe you can't, you know, uh, leave them. You can't get divorced or for some reason you don't want to get divorced or it's a mother or a brother or a father or son or something. And in those cases, you know, the best thing you can ever do is teach through your living, shining example. So you want to be the change yourself that you want to see in the others. 
So sometimes we try to tell people, but we can often show people better than we can ever tell them. And so you do that by mostly focusing on being the presence of peace, okay, on the inside, without asking them to change or be different. And that doesn't mean you can't express or set boundaries. You want to do that, but mostly you change people or at least give people the opportunity to change in a positive, healthy, productive way by being the change you want to see in them by being peace on the inside. On the outside, what does that look like? Well, once you've established or focused on doing your best to maintain your own sense of peace and equanimity and tranquility on the, in- on the inside, you mostly are an active listener. And you listen to what they say, and then you reflect back what they say. And so you say things like, if I hear you correctly, what I hear you saying is, and you reflect back in your own words without judgment, what you heard. And you ask if you heard correctly. And they'll say, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or they'll say no, and then they'll say it again. And say, this time, did I hear it right this time? Reflect it back. And they'll say, yeah, that's pretty much it. And say, oh, if I were in your shoes, I'd be thinking and feeling the same way that you are. That is not a figurative truth only. That's a literal truth. So if we were in their crazy minds or brains, and we've had their crazy conditioning or upbringing, if we had their crazy life, we would be thinking and feeling and behaving exactly the way they are because we would be them, right? So that process of sort of active listening um, and validation, normalization, and empathy, um, which is the next thing I'll discuss, really is 75% or or 80% of the game. If you can do that, you'd be surprised at how much less difficult people become or how much less difficult conversations become just by doing this simple thing. So the next step is you say something like, um, you know, at that point, you can begin to ask follow-up questions. But the idea is that you want to do everything humanly possible to maintain your own inner peace, despite the ways in which the other person is or is not showing up. Sometimes that requires you stepping away, though, and creating physical space. And whether it's just a mindfulness break for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes or rushing up, going off to the bathroom or making an excuse and running to the store, you know, you want to do what you can to find those little spaces or pockets of peace. You know, so those would be my top four, five, six tips. Those are very, very helpful. Even, I mean, what you said really makes sense to me because even uh, when you're around people that you do love, um, I can give myself as an example with my kids. Uh, Sometimes they both are doing their own thing at the same time and they drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I take a step back and say, okay take a moment to breathe i go to the next room even if it's like for 30 seconds it makes a big difference um you know taking that. a breath you, yeah you, that's so in- inspiring and encouraging to me and i can tell you are just a phenomenal mom <laughs> phenomenal um to even be aware of that and do that and you know um it's yeah so important to model for other people and especially kids how to self-soothe if there's one the most crucial or critical skill that we could ever learn as a child and as an adult is how to self-soothe. So when a child particularly sees us being upset or frustrated, most of us then feel bad about that or guilty about that, but we don't need to feel guilty or sad or upset about that. We can actually use those moments when we feel upset or frustrated to, and we can express and say to our children, oh my goodness, you know, mommy, daddy's a little upset right now. I'm really frustrated, actually. Not just a little. I'm a lot, I'm a lot upset right now. And so I'm going to try and calm myself. I'm going to try to soothe myself a little. And I'm going to need 30 seconds. I'm going to go take a little me time. And I'll be back when I feel a little bit better. But just modeling that process 
really helpful. It's one of the most helpful things you can do for kids, but also for adults. What you're doing is profound, and I really want to commend you on it. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and because, you know, we're teaching them it's okay to have a moment. It's okay. Uh, you know, even grownups have emotions and um, it's okay to acknowledge them. I mean, I hope that's the message I'm sending to them that uh, because I, you know, in my culture, grownups never apologized. <laughs> you know, yeah. your parents are always right. Um, so, uh yeah that's what i'm trying to um teach them you know a lot of people think also with success comes happiness is that always true can you share to us about like because you know as i when i grew up i grew up in a developing country and a lot of people you know uh did not have much but also the happiest people i saw uh, were those people who, you know, they're just there enjoying themselves. They they really laugh out loud. They spend time with their loved ones and they don't complain as much. But when I moved here and I saw success, what it looks like and how people are living their lives here, I noticed with it came also a lot of people who are unhappy. So I was kind of shocked actually so can you share with us a little bit about that yeah it's profound insight um so since 1950 um particularly in the states but all across the world as parts of europe even asia folks have been living an increasingly successful life in general okay so for the most part technological advancements have led us to live better lives higher quality lives longer lives and healthier lives okay and most folks you know, um, from since 1950 would say that they're overall living better than their grandparents did or their great parents, great grandparents did. And so life has gotten better since 1950. And yet folks have felt worse for it. We have the most unhappy people that we ever have in the history of humankind right now. So despite life getting better and folks succeeding more in general and uh, specific ways, folks feel less happy for it, right? And not so much so that since 1950, we have over 10 times more unipolar and bipolar depression. We've got more anxiety disorders. We've got more access one and access two disorders. Um, we've got more substance abuse and uh, drug abuse. We've got more um, suicide. We've got all of it, okay? So on a broad scale, scientifically, that's true. We also know from the field of positive psychology that Money and certain things can enhance or move you, move the needle on happiness up a little, right? So, for instance, we know, for instance, that if you make less than here in the States, $75,000, right? Every additional dollar up to $75,000 will actually improve your happiness rating, okay? You'll get a little bump and a little bump and a little bump because if you're making less than that, for the most part, as a family, you can't afford basic things you maybe don't you know you might not be able to afford a roof over your head you might not be able to afford to put you know food in um you know in your mouth you might not be able to buy clothes or school supplies and so that has a effect on our happiness rating but once you hit about seventy five thousand dollars at least here in the states um that you start to experience a diminishing marginal utility of the dollar which means every additional dollar you make gets you less and less and less happiness and at some point you start 
experiencing even less happiness, right? Um, you know, where you actually bottom out or flatline in terms of how much more bang you can get for your buck in terms of happiness. So more than that, when science and positive psychology looks at the relationship between success and happiness, we know that despite, okay, so most of us think that happiness and health at the very least are correlated. We find that's not true, that objective health doesn't predict happiness, that subjective health does. So your perception of how healthy you are does matter, but whether or not you're suffering from a terminal disease or not is actually not, is not correlated uh, statistically with um, happiness. We also know that money doesn't, that, um, you know, except for this um, caveat around, you know, how, you know, sort of living at a level of subsistence or below, other than that, happiness doesn't actually increase or improve um, your happiness. We also know that marriage doesn't, that for the most part, when people get married, they experience a little bump in their happiness, but that bump is sort of levels up very quick, levels out very quickly, and they return to their baseline levels of happiness that they experienced pre, uh, prior to um, getting married. Kids, same deal. Most of us think, uh, particularly those of us who don't have kids, <laughs> think that you know kids um, will enhance our happiness and that we'll experience more happiness. And it's not that we don't experience uh, incredible moments with our kids. It's not that our kids are not rewarding, but kids are very stressful and it's a ton of responsibility. And believe it or not, science has found that for the most part, you experience less happiness with the first child and you experience statistically significantly less happiness with the second child. And your happiness doesn't return to its baseline level, to its original level, until those kids leave the house, right? And so happiness, um, you know, is not caused by success. Success does not lead to happiness. Cannot say that strongly enough. That being said, and what's interesting and dramatic about these findings is that success, however, um, is caused by happiness to a large extent. In other words, happiness does lead to success. So happiness is not just the greatest success, meaning that it's the reason we want success, but also it leads to traditional forms of success. So what do I mean by that? Well, happy people, as opposed to unhappy people, live longer lives. They live six to seven years longer. Uh, actually, I think it's seven to eight years longer. Happy people also make about $600 to $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime. That's US dollars. Um, happy people also get married earlier. They stay married longer and they're happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not. doesn't matter because they're happy. So they bring happiness to the relationship, right? And they experience less job burnout and so many other things and benefits to happiness. But success does not lead to happiness. Happiness, however, does lead to increasingly authentic and effortless success. So if you care about money, if you care about health, if you care about longevity, if you care about relationships, you definitely want to focus and prioritize happiness and trust and know that the rest will be added, the rest will be included. Wow. So does that also apply to the type of people you attract in your life, um, even in relationships? So if you're, is that why happy people attract, uh, you know, better partners? Yes. yes. So you nailed it. So I love you saying that. I, I often say, you know, happiness is attractive literally and figuratively. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it attracts happier circumstances and conditions. And we just shared that. And that's not a spiritual platitude. That's scientifically proven. That's empirically driven, right? So we know that. But happiness also is attractive in the sense that, you know, attracts other people. We've, uh, they've done studies and they found that happy people are actually rated as more attractive than unhappy people. And it's not that they're more attractive. Um, it's, not because they're it's not that they're happy because they're attractive. 
No, they've done studies where they show the same person, two separate groups of people, the same person, and in one part, one picture they're smiling, and another picture they're giving a Duchenne smile, which is an authentic smile. It's an impossible one to fake. You can't fake it. It's real. The picture of you smiling, people rate and judge as more attractive than the picture of you not smiling. They actually think that you're actually attractive. They, they know that you're smiling, and they think that it's more than that. They just happen to be more attractive in that picture. <laughs> so in any case, happiness is attractive, literally and figuratively. It attracts other people. People see you as more attractive, but it also attracts happier and healthier and wealthier and more successful outcomes. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So what is one thing that we can do today for our health? So I would say get happy. (laughs) The best thing you do with your health is get happy and stop worrying about your health. You know, I think the one thing, um, you know, particularly now days uh, with everything that's going on globally, you know, folks are very concerned about their health and for good reason, for understandable reasons. And it's good to do what you can to be healthy. The great, one of the greatest things you can do to be healthy is just to chill, just to relax a little bit, just to focus on being happy and enjoying your days, enjoying your time, trying to focus more on what you're doing in the moment, being more present. That in of itself, being more present, which means thinking less, feeling more, thinking less, enjoying more, believe it or not, will boost your immune system and support your immune response in ways that practically nothing else can. You know, couldn't, you know, most diseases and illness in the world are caused by stress. You know, they're stress-related. And um, if you can focus on happiness and focus on finding or developing or cultivating a mindfulness practice or a gratitude practice or an exercise routine that helps you enjoy yourself more and become happier and more peaceful on the inside, You'd be blown away about the ways in which that will let you lose weight faster, will let you become healthier more quickly. Well, and sometimes, you know, miracles sometimes happen when you focus just on peace and on happiness and you make everybody and everything else irrelevant in terms of that meaning. You don't blame or project blame onto anybody or anything else. You say, I'm going to take responsibility for my happiness and I'm going to do it to be happy. And that's the key because lots of us get caught up in trying to be happy so we can get the good stuff, so we can get the successful stuff. <laughs> and that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the universe knows that. You can't trick yourself. You can't trick life. You have to really mean it when you say you want to be happy. But if you mean it and you dedicate your life to it, you'd be surprised at how everything else in your life begins to improve precisely because you don't need it to improve. You know, that's one of the interesting things about life. It's ironic that when you don't need people to change, they change. When you don't need circumstances to be different, they become different. And so if you can prioritize happiness by developing or Mm -hmm. cultivating some kind of happiness, practice, you'll be surprised and impressed about the ways in which life improves itself and your health improves itself. I agree 100%. Yes. Um, uh, I read somewhere a long time ago that happiness is a decision that you make. And uh, with that decision, you have to follow it up with action as well. Like you really have to look at yourself, see Okay, you decide if you want to be happy, then actually do things that make you happy and remove the things that don't make you happy, at least try to do so. And then once you do that, um, things just can happen in your life, um, the way that you want them to happen for you. So um, I definitely experienced that in my life. And it makes so much sense to me. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for being here. You've shared um, so much wisdom with us. Um, And I believe that, you know, we're all here to serve one another. 
in this um, universe. Uh, everything serves one another. And I want to know how myself and my listeners can serve you. Oh, my. First of all, I want to thank you so much. And I fully receive what you said there. That was such a gift. And you are such a gift. Um, you're such a light and you're so full of love and wisdom. And you can just feel it. I can just feel it come through uh, the device technology right here. I'm sure, and I know all your audience uh, members can as well. So please know that. I want to reflect that back to you perfectly. You're such an inspiration to me and to all of us. You know, folks um, can find me everywhere. Um, you know, you can find most folks, which is on social media. My handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at Rob Mac, M A C K official. You can find my website at Coach Rob Mac, M A C K. Dot com, and you can find my book, Happiness from the Inside Out, everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, both online and in the store. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you so much. Wow, that was just an amazing conversation I had with Rob. You guys, he has played a big role in my journey towards happiness. I started following him on Instagram and I learned so much from him. He has so much wisdom to share and he's so relatable and just a wonderful, wonderful person. So go ahead and follow him. You will not regret it. You will learn so much from him. So I'm just so glad that you are here. You listened to this episode. If you loved it, go ahead and give me a review. I would love to know what you guys thought share it on instagram your social media i would love to hear your thoughts also share it with people who you think would benefit from this episode because you know we're all looking for happiness i think that's just what life is life is a journey towards happiness so uh definitely share this episode and uh thank you i i'm just so grateful for all of you listening I love you all. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye, beautiful souls.